Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from November 21st by Pastor Randy, titled Revival and Forgiveness. So, here's the question. What do you do with people who hate you? What do you do with people that you don't like? And what do you do with people who don't like you? You say, Randy, I don't have any enemies. I just got a few people I can't stand to be around and I secretly hope they fail in life, but I don't really have any enemies. But what, what do you do with people like that? What does our culture do with people like that? I know what our culture does. Things become increasingly incivil, lack of civility. I mean, we've seen that over the past couple of years, right? I mean, civility has just gone out the window in every area. In the political area, what do they do? They cast insults and call each other names. In the online world, what do people do? Well, in the online world, they make very crude and rude and and harsh comments to other people. And then... And you notice this, incivility turns to hostility. Remember that dentist a couple years ago killing Cecil the lion? Yeah, it, it, the dentist for those, he went over to Africa, did on safari, and he wounds up killing like the, the mascot of a little town. It was the lion that hung around there. He thought everything was right. But anyway... What happened is that social media picked up on that, and then media picked up on that. They're making fun of him. Then pretty soon they're trash-talking him. Then death threats start to come. Then somebody posts his house, the address of his house online. So you got all these people now showing up at his house. And there's not only threats against him. His wife is threatened. His kid is threatened. People on his staff at his dental office is threatened. It just completely gets out of hand. And then you have people online discussing debt reduction. So you have two different groups on either side of debt reduction. And one group says to the other group, I wish they were all bleeping dead over debt reduction. You don't agree with them over reducing the debt, so you wish they were dead. But that's just where our culture is at. Our culture, what it's doing is driving people to to get into one group or the other, to pick a side. And when you pick a side, then you start throwing insults at the other side. And then what happens? Then it, it, it things, things start getting a little bit uglier. You want to cancel them out, right? You want, you want to silence the other side. So we have people forced to, to, to pick a side and then the other side, they, they fight each other, want to cancel each other out, want to silence the other side and all this. And what does our media do? Does our media sit back and go, wow, that's interesting. Or wow, they shouldn't do that. No, our media feeds it. It fuels that. It encourages it. And this is going on in every area. And so what we find is we have all these sides being, being made in our culture. So now you're either conservative or you're liberal. 
Then you have religious against the LGBT community. You have blacks against whites. You have country music lovers against people with taste or whatever it may be. But you have, and it just goes on and on and on. So once you have this incivility that arises, then people will dehumanize other people. And when you dehumanize them, then you can treat them inhumanely. This has been going on for centuries. But the, the thing about different today is that it's just, it's just infiltrating every part of our culture. And it's tearing us apart as a culture. It's even tearing families apart. What can we do? Is there anything that can, that can help here? And the answer is yes. It says in the Bible that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Meaning while we were God's enemy, while we were against God, what did God do? Did he pick a side? Did he start throwing things at us and accusing us? He could have, but he didn't. He could have, he would have been right, but he didn't. What did he do instead? He moved toward us. That's what he calls us to do. To love our enemies, to pray for them, to do good unto them. But here's the thing. We know that we don't do it because we don't want to do it. And that happens in a lot of areas of life. If I came to you and asked you, how could you get more fit in life, be more physically fit, to be healthier? You could tell me. You could tell me exactly what you need to do on how you need to exercise and how you need to eat. You could tell me that, but eventually it's just going to come down to broccoli or donut. You know, which one? And we choose donut all the time, don't we? See, it's not that we don't know what to do. It's just we don't have the motivation to do it. It's not that we don't know how to love and how to forgive other people. It's just we don't have that motivation. We don't want to do it. You know why? Because we like to hate. It feels good to hate. A lot of times it, it, feel good, it feels good to fantasize about your, your enemy, that person you don't like, to fantasize about them being humiliated, about them being put down, about them losing everything. And we'll fantasize on, on our enemies just being destroyed before us. And, and we like that. Or if you're a really strong Christian, you might choose to tolerate them. Y'all know what tolerant means? Tolerate means? It means you endure the existence of something. That's what it means to tolerate something. You endure the existence of it. How great is that to say, oh, I just love going to church there. I just endure the existence of everybody. So what can we do? Where is some help? What can we look to? How can we find some motivation to show love and forgiveness to people rather than hate, rather than being incivil, rather than trying to get back at them? How can we be motivated as Christians to do what we're called to do? Not just called to do, commanded to do. How can we do that? Here's all we need right here. 
Luke 23. When they arrived at the place called the skull, they crucified him there along with the criminals, criminals, one on the right and one on the left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. And, <clears throat> and they divided his clothes and cast lots. So here's Jesus on the cross. The men who are nailing him to the cross, the men who put him there, his father, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. Here's the first thing that I want to help motivate you to love and forgiveness in our culture at this time. Is this, Jesus could forgive like that because he had the confidence of knowing his father. He knew who his father was. See, Jesus could pray for them while they were crucifying him because he knew his father was in control. They weren't calling the shots. His father was calling the shots. His father was in control of the whole situation. Here's what we read in 1 Peter 2. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. He didn't threaten back. He didn't insult back people who were insulting him. Why? Because he knew his father was in control of the whole thing. Hebrews 12, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the source and perfecter of our faith, for the joy that lay before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He could endure the cross. He went through all that. Why? Because he knew his father had set joy before him. He knew what his father had for him. Again, his father was in control. He was the one calling the shots. And Jesus knew what awaited him. And so that confidence in knowing who his father was, that he was in control of everything. Think of it this way. The kid who grows up and his father is sort of wimpy, sort of milk toast, And that's his, that's his view of his father. But then he gets older and he gets in a situation where he has these five guys coming at him. And his father steps in and he wipes the floor with all five of those guys. Oh, as long as my dad is around, I don't have anything to worry about. He can take care of anything. It's the same thing you see in Superman when Clark Kent's there and he's being, he's being humiliated and somebody, somebody's trying to pick on him. You know, all he could do is just do this and they're gone. He just flicks his finger and he's, he's taking them out. Jesus has that confidence in God. That's what allows them to forgive. Now, now, we've got to take this a step further. I can be generous and forgiving when I come from a place of abundance. Knowing who his father was, knowing that he was in control, that's what motivated him to be generous and forgiving. Let, let me explain this to you. So tomorrow morning, you're driving to work and you leave the house early, 20 minutes early. 30 minutes early, whatever, you leave early, you know you've got plenty of time. And so you're driving down the road, somebody tries to merge in front of you. What do you do? Oh, you want to merge? Go ahead and merge. Somebody does something stupid, you go, I, I do something stupid too. I, I know that, not a big deal. Why? You're generous because you know you got plenty of time. But suppose you leave to go to work tomorrow morning and you're late. It's different. Why are so many morons on the road today? Can't they learn how to drive in the snow? What's the problem here? They should know better. 
See, when you come from an assurance of who you are in a place of abundance, then that forgiveness, that love, that can flow from you. Here's what we're reading Galatians 4. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law so that they might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. Everything that God has, you have. There's an abundance of it. So here's the bottom line. Our insecurity leads to our hostility. This is the opposite of it. This is the opposite of somebody who, who recognizes that they have an abundance. Because they will allow their insecurity to lead them to become hostile. Let me, let me put it this way. If, if I insult your intelligence and you know you're very smart, you're just going to laugh that off and go on. But if I insult your intelligence and that's part of your insecurity, you're going to get upset. That's going to make you angry. See, whenever somebody comes at you in a place that you're insecure of, you're going to want to tend to want to fight back and get angry over that. But the reason we refuse to forgive is our lack of confidence in who we are in Christ. It's the same thing. We can't forgive because we don't know that, we don't understand, we don't have that confidence of the abundance that we have in Christ. We're his, we're forgiven, we're his child, we've been adopted, we're an heir to all things. And when you have that place of abundance, when you're confident of the abundance you have in Christ, then forgiveness just flows from you. Yeah, go ahead, cut me out, it's okay, I don't mind, I know who I am in Christ. So, number one, Jesus could forgive like that. He could forgive his enemies because he was confident of his abundance of what he had in, in Christ, of what he had in his father. He was confident of that. And when you find people who refuse to forgive, it's because they're so insecure. They don't know who they are in Christ. And second thing is this. Jesus could forgive like that because his compassion for them. They know not what they do. So they don't know what they do. I'd say, yes, they did. They know exactly what they were doing when they nailed him to the cross. They knew what a cross could do. They knew what they were doing in one way, but another way, they didn't understand the ramifications of that. Why? Because they were spiritually blind. They didn't know what they were doing when they were nailing the son of God to a cross. Here's what we read in 2 Corinthians 4. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is in the image of God. See, we, we're among a people who, who are like blind captives. They're cruel because they're spiritually blind. They can't see what they're doing. When you look at others being cruel, see blindness. That's what Paul urges Timothy. Listen to this. But reject foolish and ignorant disputes because you know they breed quarrels. The Lord's servant must not quarrel, but must be gentle to everyone, able to teach and patient, instructing his opponents with gentleness. 
Perhaps God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. Then they may come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. So Paul tells Timothy, look, you don't need to get in an argument with anybody. You don't need to be in dispute with anybody. You be gentle toward them. Why? Because they're like blind captives. They're held captive and they don't realize it. John Perkins was born in 1930 in Mississippi. Grew up picking a lot of cotton. When he graduated school, his mother encouraged him to leave. That's no place for a young black man to live. And so he moved to California. He became a Christian in California, surrendered to the ministry. Then he decides, he feels that he needs to go back and minister to his people back in Mississippi. So he goes back to Mississippi. And one night, he's leaving a civil rights rally with him and some of his friends, and they're in two vans. So they pile on these two vans to leave. One van gets pulled over. And they get arrested. John's in the other van. He sees what's going on, and they decide they're going to follow them to see what happens. So they follow them to the police station. When they get to the police station, more police officers come out of the police station, and they grab John and his friends in that van, and they start beating on them. They pull them into the police station, and they continue to beat on them all through the night. In fact, John says, I think at one point, they must have thought I was dead, and I thought I was too. But then there came a turning point. For the first time, his view changed because he describes the senior hate and he described them like white-faced demons, just filled with hate. But then he began to change because he began to see what hate had done to these guys. Because they were poor. As police back then, they were poor. They considered their lives to be like failures. And the only way they could feel good about themselves was to beat people. And that's what they were doing. And John says, I stopped hating them. I began to be filled with pity toward them. And he says, at that moment, I told God that if I get out of here, from now on, I'm going to preach a gospel, not just to my black friends, but to the whites also. Why? Because he saw them as blind captives. His old view of them changed. Whenever we see evil perpetrated in this world, we ought to get angry, but where's your anger going to fall? Is it going to fall on a person or fall on their sin? Suppose I was born blind. And then because of the act of somebody, something happened, I miraculously received my sight. Then the dumbest thing that I could do was to go back and start cursing blind people. Why are you blind? You're crazy. I can't believe you'd still be blind. Why are you living that way? You're done to be blind. I didn't do anything to heal my blindness. It wasn't because of anything I did. It was simply the, the, the grace of God. Somebody else had to do something. And we sing about that, right? Amazing grace. I was blind, but now I see. See, and that's what happened to John. It totally changed his view when he began to see them as blind captives. They don't know what they're doing. Our country 
has a few times in the past couple of years just stopped and I think marveled at something. But, but back a, a few years ago, you remember that white kid that walks in that church at Charleston and, and, and kills nine of them? When they got a chance to speak, every one of them said something like this. You took something from me. I'll never get back, but I forgive you. Some even pleaded for his soul. You're going to hell. God has hell because that's just where people like you go. But you can repent and God can do a work in your life. Here's what we need to understand. We can forgive because we have an abundance of confidence of who our God is and what we have in him. So it's easy when other people uh, will insult us and, and come against us. We say, sure, man, I know who I am in Christ. I can forgive. We can also forgive not only because of our confidence, we can also forgive because we have that compassion. They're like blind captives. And then third, we can also forgive because we have a confidence of what love can do. Here we go. Jesus could forgive like that because he had a conviction that love is what brings change. How can we be kind to an enemy? How can we forgive somebody who's, who's hurt us so bad? Or even somebody who just simply insulted us? Because we have a conviction that love can change their hearts. That that's what love does. When you encounter the love of God, it creates a life change. Isn't that what beauty and the beast taught us? You're a beast. But you, 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 you're loved and you learn, you're lovely and you, you learn to love and, it, and your whole life has changed as a result. Isn't that what we learned from frozen? Love can heal a frozen heart. You sacrifice yourself for someone else, it can heal your heart and it can also change the world. See, even Disney knows this. They even understand how love can change a person. They get it. It can change a crucifier to a worshiper. It can change a murderer to a missionary. And when you get con convinced that love can change somebody, Yes, you're ready to do love to your enemies. You're ready to love because you know what it can do. Whenever they had crucifixions, they were very loud, very noisy. Okay? And what I mean by that is that you, you may have had the, the guy yelling in pain as being crucified, but then you got people around him who were cursing him and, and mocking him. And then you have him mocking them right back. And then he's also cursing the soldiers who are crucifying him. So there's a lot of noise going on. But when Jesus was crucified, he's not mocking the soldiers and cursing the soldiers who are killing him. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He's taking care of his mother. He's concerned about his mother. He says, John, here's your mother. He has compassion for a guy who's dying next to him on the cross and says, you'll be with me today in paradise. And when he breathes his last breath, he's entrusting himself to God. Father, I commit to you my spirit. See, the gospel writers make sure we don't miss this because that's not what you saw when a person was crucified. It was a long, drawn-out, 
torturous, noisy event of going back and forth with other people with your cursings and your, your put-downs. It's just constant. But the gospel writers make sure we don't miss the way Jesus died. So much so that centurion says, this surely was the son of God. He'd never seen anybody die like that. There's a book called Of Whom the World is Not Worthy. It's about persecution that took place in, in Yugoslavia after World War II. There was not only a lot of persecution that took place around in, in that time, uh, but also a lot of corruption. And it wasn't just persecution and corruption that the government or, or, or the Germans put on people. It, it came from the church. Very difficult time. So Yakov is this young Christian evangelist and he goes to a small village in Yugoslavia. Meets an older gentleman by the name of Simeon. They begin to talk about all the stuff going on with the war and, and, and how everything's been ravaged by the war and all that. And then Yakov, he starts talking about Jesus. And as soon as he mentions Jesus, Simeon says, no, stop right there. I don't want to hear anything about Jesus. People in Jesus' name, they took advantage of us. They took our stuff. They took our money and they even killed some of us. Some of my family members died because of people, what they did in the name of Jesus. I don't want to hear anything. Then Yakov said, let me tell you a story. And he says, suppose somebody came and stole your coat and then they robbed the bank. And while the police were investigating, they came to you and they said, did you rob a bank? What would you tell them? Simeon says, well, I'll tell them I didn't rob a bank. But suppose they say, yes, we saw you fleeing with your coat. And Simeon realizes where this is going. He says, no, 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 no. We're not going there. You just stay away. I don't want to have anything to do with you. Well, Yakov kept on coming to that village. Every time he did, Simeon was mean to him, doing everything he can to, to thwart what he was doing. But, but Yakov kept on coming, kept on being nice to Simeon and ministering to the village. Then one day, Simeon comes up to Yakov and says, can you tell me how to become a Christian? And he kneels down and prays and, and becomes a Christ follower. He gets up, gives glory to God. Then he turns to Yakov and says, you wear his coat well. We live in a place where people are ungodly, right? You know what ungodly means? Just not like God. Opposite of God. What do we do with that? How do we handle that? I've got to live in a place where so many people are unrandy. They're just not like Randy at all. There's a lot of people who are unbrock, right? Unjerry people. Unmelissa people. Y'all know any like that? Yes. What do you do with that? What do you do with, with, with people like that? Can you find the motivation to forgive them because you come from a place of abundance of who you are in Christ, because you're filled with compassion because they don't know what they're doing and because you're convinced how love can change a person's heart? How do you treat people who are so unfilling your name? What do you do with that? What we do as Christians is as we're coming to Christ, we're stepping into this ocean of grace. 
And we get down and we're our ankles deep and then we're our knees deep and then it comes up to our chest and then it's over our head and we have to swim or go into this ocean of grace. And, and we get out on the side of that and we go, oh, all my sins are forgiven. Every sin I've ever done, every sin I want to do, it's forgiven. God, what, how marvelous it is just to be in your grace. And then we're going to turn around to somebody who's hurt us and go, but I'll never forgive them. Does that make sense? No. But that's what we do. And there's only one reason why we do that. It's because we're unwilling to forgive. That's all. It's the only reason there is. We're unwilling. Jesus tells a parable in Matthew 18 about a servant who's forgiven this great amount of debt. Then he turns around to a fellow servant who owes him, you know, a couple hundred dollars. And he, he has him thrown into debtor's prison. And here's what Jesus says about that servant. It says, but he wasn't willing. He wasn't willing to forgive. Instead, he went and threw him into prison until he could pay what was owed. It's the same reason we're, we don't forgive people. Why? Because we're not willing. The gospel has given us sufficient reason to forgive, sufficient motivation to forgive. The only reason that, that we don't forgive is what we said at the beginning is because we just don't want to. And here's the thing that, that I want you to understand. You have a choice when it comes to are you going to forgive or not? Are you going to broccoli your donut? You know, same thing. You have a choice. But as a Christian, to forgive is your only choice. It's the only thing. One more verse. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. To the extent that you're willing to forgive other people, show love and forgiveness to other people, it's to the extent that you realize what God has done for you or else to the extent that you're faking it. See, litmus test for the reality of the gospel in your life is to the extent to which you give grace and forgiveness to the person who's hurt you the most and deserves it the least. That shows whether or not you're really forgiven. Are you going to be kind and tender hard toward them or are you just going to tolerate them? What are you going to do? So, I want us to do something a little bit different right now for the next few minutes. I want us as a church to reinforce the bonds that the world is trying to tear apart. See, the world wants us to get into a group. The pit, not only one part of our culture against another part of our culture, not only to, to pit families against other family members, but our world wants us to be in a group where as a church that we have different groups in a church and the world tries to pull us apart. But if we know who we are in Christ, if we have an abundance and we know who we are in Christ, it should be easy for us to just to love and to forgive. If we have a compassion for other people, if we know how love can change a person's heart, yes, our response should be to love and to forgive. Even those who are our enemies. Not tolerate them. To be kind and tender-hearted toward them. That's how you know you've forgiven somebody. Are you kind and tender-hearted? 
Come Thanksgiving time and there's that person who you don't like and you know don't like you and, and, and they're getting ready to eat beside you in Thanksgiving time. You're going to take their spoonful of potatoes and slap it down on their plate? Or are you going to gladly serve them? You hear about somebody who you don't like and, and doesn't like you and you hear something bad that happens. Or are you going to be tender hard toward that? Or are you going to, oh, they deserve that. So many of us get caught in this fantasy world of loving to see or, or hoping to see those people on the other side, to see them humiliated, to see them hurt. That's what our culture has brought us to. This incivility has led to this type of hostility to dehumanizing one another. But as Christians, there is a better way. There's a better way. Jesus gives that example for us. Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org.